Um, today I want to talk about um, kind of what the what the real Christmas story would have looked like. And so we get a lot of times it's, you know, the, the title just popped up right here in front of it, the real nativity. And so the, the real nativity, I know I was talking to my dad a little bit about this, and he loves collecting nativity scenes, he's brought seven or eight of them around the house. And I was telling him about different things and the cultural aspects and probably what happened and maybe some misconceptions we have. And he's like, you know, I'm, you're going to make me throw them all away. I'm just, I don't know if I'm going to be able to keep them anymore, uh, things like that. And so we just want to talk about nothing, nothing like huge and like faith-based, but a lot of times we, we kind of look at the Christmas story and, and things that happen. And it's like, yeah, that, that wouldn't have really happened like that. And so I know I, I sat um, in a sermon out in Indiana where, where Megan's from in her home church. And the pastor did one on that, and so I stole some of his ideas, and that was a few years back. And so there's, there aren't better thieves than pastors, right, right, Chuck? That, you know, we, we plagiarize with the best of them. And so, um, you know, like, like the Bible says, there's nothing new under the sun, so we've got to learn from each other, right? And so he did one on that, and I thought it was really interesting. So part of it I remembered from that, and part of it I, you know, was kind of researching on my own and things like that. And so, um, but we can start off, let's start off with the, the first part we would talk about. Joseph leading Mary on the donkey. So if we can get this, oh, isn't that a nice picture? Just Joseph, you know, he's got the got the robe, leading her there. It's a nice day out. It's really nice and warm. And they just look co- comfortable, don't they? Just leading. Does anybody know how far it would have been from Nazareth to Bethlehem? Anybody that hasn't been to seminary? Does anybody know how far that distance would have been? You know, as, as Mary's pregnant on this, what's that? About a week. So it was 90 miles. It's on 90 miles. Anybody, any of you women here, when you were pregnant, ever had the desire to walk 90 miles? No? Okay, I didn't think so. I've never been pregnant before, but, you know, it doesn't seem like that would be enjoyable. Also, the other thing that's probably not accurate in this picture would be the donkey. And so she wouldn't have been, as uncomfortable as that would have been riding that donkey, what's probably more accurate is that she would have been walking. And so Mary and Joseph did not come from money. Now, there were donkey, the donkeys were used among all socioeconomic levels, so it is possible. Now, I want to be clear about this, too. Some of these ideas we're saying, we're talking about probably, okay? There's no way to know what exactly happened and things like that, but we're looking at what was normal in that culture then, what was normal for people that were, were poor on, their, on the socioeconomic scale and just the customs of that day, okay? So some of the things we know for sure wouldn't have happened, and some of the things it's like, look, could this have happened? Maybe. Would this have happened? Almost definitely not. Also because walking 90 miles there, the roads, the, the highways, as they would have called it then, would not have been policed in that time either. So there would have been a fear of bandits and robbers and things like that. So this would have been a very unsafe way to travel. And so I, I doubt Joseph was going to want to walk you know, walk all this way in danger with a pregnant wife that doesn't really set yourself up for success there. Also, during this time, you know, they were going to Bethlehem because of the census, and that's where Joseph was from. And so there would have been a lot of people walking at this time. So the safest way to go would have been in groups. And when they traveled in groups, it was typically the men traveled in, the, in, in a group up front, and then the women a little bit further back because the men that would have been a safer way because they would have been able to see if there was any danger and things like that. And typically, if you're going to be a robber or bandit, that's why, you know, when we go, when we take kids places, it's always have a buddy system, always travel in groups. Why? Because you're not going to probably try to rob an entire group of men. You'd probably get your butt kicked and then you'd be sent off like a, you know, like a dog with his tail between his legs. And so they would have done that. And then 
Also, what would have been very difficult for Mary at this time, too, is that because she was married, and or she was not married, because Joseph, um, at that time, uh, uh, a lot of verses say they were betrothed, which a lot of people take to mean they were engaged, but he took her as his wife. But what it was in that time was that when you were betrothed, it was that you were married, and so Joseph would have been responsible for her as a providing husband, but they would not have been living together, which is why the Bible is very clear that they did not consummate their marriage until after Jesus was born. So Mary was a virgin completely up until uh, after Jesus uh, was born and, you know, during the healing time thereafter. And so um, so when the, when the Bible says that the angel said to take her as your wife, that they, were, they would have been betrothed. So living separate but still responsible in that day because we know, like, it was, it was like men and then women and then, and then it was like pregnant women that didn't have husbands, like way down the list. And so that would have been a very shameful thing that she would have, because everybody would have known like, okay, maybe they were together, but they weren't really together because they weren't, they were married, but not together. And so that would have created a lot of, of tension and friction. So it's very even possible that there was a group of women and then Mary would have been even a little bit further back because she would have been outcast um, by them. And so we can go kind of to the to the next picture also of what we look at as like the stable. Like, oh, isn't this great? We have this stable and everybody's comfortable and there's the star that's actually always touching the stable that is the lowest lying star I've ever seen in my life that always seems to be, right, like this, there's the star always touching the stable. So I don't know how that works, but I'm pretty sure if you know anything about stars, that would have set the stable on fire. But um, but maybe it's just off in the distance right behind it, right? I, I, I get it. But anyway, but there probably was no stable. That wouldn't have been how where people would have stayed when they were going. So every kid's pageant too, right? They say, oh, there was no room for them at the inn, and there's always the innkeeper that says, there's no room, go away, right? We always see the, the grumpy innkeeper because his, his inn is full and all the things. The Bible has no mention of an innkeeper, so that story, you know, if there's an inn, there's probably an innkeeper, so that's fine. But also, if we look in Luke, um, in the Greek. Now, I know nothing about Greek, so any of you that actually study Greek, I'm going to butcher these words. I don't care. And so it says they stayed at the inn, but the inn in uh, the word they used in Luke 2 is the kataluma, kata let's say. The kataluma, which translates in, but it means the sleeping area of the house. So if we can go to the next picture of the house, this is what a typical house in that time would have looked like. So you typically had like one of these areas would have been for chores. One of them would have been kind of almost like a passageway because there was some storage space down there. This is where you would have kept your animals. And then upstairs you would have had it like a sleeping spot and, and like a eating and cooking spot. And so this would have been more likely. And then you have a ladder. This would have been how you got to your they, – they didn't have like staircases. There would have been a ladder to be able to get up. And then this part would have been just kind of like a little courtyard area type deal. And so that's, this is what your manger scene should look like. So it's not really as nice looking. It doesn't really go on a Christmas card quite as well, does it? But this is what, this is most likely. There was this, and then there was another one. I don't have a picture of it, but there was also because there were mountains at the time that they could have carved them into a mountain. And so if you were even poor, they had like kind of a three-room section, um, like kind of into the side of a mountain. Um, but when Joseph would have gone and he would have stayed with his family, um, in that time, and they said there was no more room at the inn. And the other the other word for inn was pan, panda, pandachion or something like that. 
So that that word is, means it translates to inn, but it's more like a hotel. But we know that Luke would have known the difference between those two words because he uses the first one, which means living space in a house, in, in this in this instance. And then later in Luke, when he talks about the parable of the Good Samaritan, when he takes the Samaritan, he leaves them at the actual inn and tells the innkeeper to take care of him because the inns also would have been on like the main highway area too, that you would have stayed there to rest as you then continued on on your journey. So he uses the second word that actually means inn or like hotel in that, in that parable of the Good Samaritan. So that's how we know, too, that this, he was talking about the living area of the house. So when they go and they say there was no room at the inn. Now, there's also two theories on that, that there was no room because either Joseph got, got there a little bit later than everybody else. And so there really was no room because maybe there were already eight people sleeping up in this area here and there really was physically no room. Or because Mary was pregnant and not by her, her betrothed husband, that that would have been shameful and they would have said, we're not accepting you. But they might have found somebody that said, well, you can at least sleep with the goats. And so those are the two theories. Either one, we don't know. There's no way to know. Um, but because it was such a shameful thing for her to have been for her to have been pregnant at that time, they could have either rejected her down into the animals or there was literally no place for her to be there, and so they would have sent her down. And this might have been the only place you can kind of see the sheep here. So everybody would have had in that time, most people would have had a couple like sheep, goats, that they would have used for like the wool and the milk and things like that. And so these half, these walls were their support beams for their house, and then there's, they kind of have like half walls in between, and so they either said there were two different types of floors back then. So there was either a hole in the floor where they would have put the food for the, the animals that they would have eaten out of. And so Jesus was either laying in that or they would cut it out of the top of the, you can't see it here a little bit, but here they would kind of cut it out into the top of that half wall and they would dump the food there and the, and the animals would eat out of that. So Mary would have been laying on the ground there um, giving birth next to the goats and then Jesus would have either been wrapped in cloth and lying on, in the hole in the floor or in the hole in the half wall. Um, but either way, that this is, if we go back to the other one, this is way more likely than, than something like this. Um, also, we talk about that star and how it's like right up above the, the manger or right above the stable and things like that. Now, who, was the, who were the first people that that were told about Jesus' birth? The shepherds, right? The shepherds. And so the shepherds came. Now, if we look to, the shepherds were never told, follow the star to find the baby, because the star was not for them. The star was for the wise men. So the star, so the shepherds went, and so the star was probably not even there. It was not even there until the magi would have come. And now, I think most people know this too. How many wise men were there? What do, what do we, what do we, Three. Usually we say, oh, there's three wise men. I think most people know this. There's no evidence of three wise men. There's evidence of three gifts, right? And not even three gifts. There's three types of gifts. But it says they open their treasures, or some versions say open their treasure chest. So this would have been a whole mess load of, of stuff that they were bringing to give to, to, to the Messiah. And so these wise men also, they would have been out far east, probably around 400 miles away, that they came on camels or whatever. Would have taken them quite a while to get there. And so we don't know exactly when that star comes up, but just like in that in that um, video that they were showing before, that it says that the the star was moving. 
So this was a supernatural. This wasn't a star that just all of a sudden became brighter or a star that was fixed right above the, the, the manger, right above where Jesus was born. This would have been something that they followed, and they just kept on following as it stayed kind of like a carrot right out in front of them. Um, and it talks about that in verse in Luke 2. And in Luke 2, when it says it came to rest above above the above where Jesus was born and that was how they they were able to get there. And so that would have been sometime later too. Like some people think that there's a, a Catholic tradition, you guys know about King's Day, right? Well, King's Day is 12 days after, which is part of the reason we have 12 days of Christmas. That was that they said, "Oh, they got there 12 days after after Jesus' birth and that's when they, you know, there's some believe that and that's why we celebrate King's Day." And actually in the Dominican Republic on on Christmas, there's a lot of people that celebrate with family, and they'll do pig roasts and, and just a lot of food and family gatherings, things like that. But kids don't get any presents. They get presents on King's Day because that's when the kings brought presents to Jesus, so that's when they give presents to their kids. So it's just a, a cultural thing. But King's Day comes 12 days after Christmas, and but that also would not have been would not have been accurate because in that time, so Jesus was born. And then the Mary would have been deemed unclean for at least a week. And then on the eighth days when Jesus would have been circumcised. And then Mary would have had to wait 33 more days. And after those 33 days is when Jesus was then presented to the temple. And he had the, the child dedication. And then also the sacrifice to finish, um, to, to finish cleansing or whatever you want to call it, Mary. That she would not be unclean any longer. And so in that time... Also, if you were, if a, a normal sacrifice would have been a young lamb, and then a poorer sacrifice, like if you could not afford a young lamb, you would um, give two bir- two pigeons or two turtle doves, which is also where that comes from. Um, so they said that Mary and Joseph presented two turtle doves to to be sacrificed to then cleanse Mary. Well, that would have been 41 days after Jesus's birth, if we go by the eight days and then 33 days later, whatever. And they presented two turtle doves. Well, if the Magi would have come and presented all this gold and all this frankincense, all this myrrh, there is no way that Mary and Joseph, who were strong Jewish, you know, with, with strong integrity and these types of people, that they wouldn't have used some of that to go buy a young lamb. So that tells us that if they were there at the, at, at the temple presenting this sacrifice of two young birds, they did not have any of that money. So it would have had to at least been after 41 days that they came, which also kind of lines up that it would have been around a 40 or so day trip if they were following this star and traveling at night. So it would, and then that mixed with, it would have taken them, you know, like they went an alternate route because Herod told them, oh, come, you know, come back and tell me where he is so I can go worship him. Yeah, right. So I can go worship him um, as the Messiah. And then obviously they found an alternate route, which that would have taken about six or so months, six to six months to a year for Herod to realize, hey, I've been duped. And so we can say that it was somewhere probably between 40 days and six months that the Magi would have been there because it was after Jesus was born. And then that still gives time. And then when Herod said, hey, kill all the kids two years and younger, that would have been kind of covering his bases. So Jesus probably wouldn't have been two because then, you know, and I'm sure knowing what we know about Herod, he wasn't out there checking birth certificates either. So there could have been three-year-olds or could have been five-year-olds. Like, you know, what we know about Herod is he was ruthless and 
So the two years and under decree, I'm sure, it was just a ballpark of, oh, you look, you know, you look kind of young, let's kill him kind of thing. So like we said, too, two and a half years old weren't safe. Three-year-olds probably weren't safe in that time because of how ruthless Herod was about that stuff. Um, but just also, I think the, the most important thing that we can take away from, from some of these from some of these, in, not inconsistencies, and please please don't leave from here, and then when your kids have a school and they have a Christmas pageant, don't be that guy in the back, that's not right, <laughs> you, know, you know, yelling at these kids. They can have an innkeeper, they can have whatever. None of these, I don't want to present this as like, oh, we've gotten the Bible completely wrong. These are inconsistencies and, and just the realities of what it was in that time and how it would have been a lot more difficult. I think it gives a lot of us a bigger appreciation for Mary, knowing that most likely at however many months pregnant, she walked 90 miles to be obedient and to give and to give glory to God and to have Jesus. And and the Magi, too. The Magi had been studying under Daniel, not those specific Magi, because that would have been hundreds of years before, but the that, like, lineage of magi if you want to call it that would have started under daniel and that's how they were studying the old testament prophecies and the old and knew what to look for and knew how how chuck was sharing with me in numbers how it says there will be a star coming out of israel so they were they were looking these were astrologers they were looking for that star and when it popped up they went hey um let's go they were ready because they knew what the bible said they had studied their bible and so that when they saw this sign they were ready they were ready, and I think we can learn a lot from that too. That as we, as we get closer and closer to the end times, and we see different signs, we should be reading our Bibles, going, "Hey, I'm ready. Here we go." And and I think that's an important thing we can learn from them. And Joseph also, and just the shame that Mary and Joseph would have felt in all this. When in Matthew, when when the angel Gabriel comes and says, "Hey, this is what's going to happen, and you're going to have this baby," and she says, "I'm not even married," he goes, "Hey, we got this taken care of. Don't you worry about it. This is going to be a miracle. This isn't on you." And she says, I'm the Lord's servant. Now, we can kind of graze over that and be like, oh, yeah, I'd be willing to do that for God or whatever. But we don't understand, like, in that time, if you were, if you were cheating on your husband or if you were pregnant outside of marriage, you could be killed for that. And so she was sitting there going, I am the Lord's servant until death. Because she realized it might cost me that. I don't know how I'm going to have a kid if I'm dead, but, or, or maybe they kill me after or whatever. But this would have brought shame to her. This would have brought shame to her family. This was going to bring shame to Joseph. This was going to bring shame to Jesus. And we know that there's, there have been discovered of, of ancient Roman-like graffiti just calling Jesus a bastard. And so that, that label is not something that it's like, oh, we would have forgotten about that later. With as, as well-known as Jesus was in that area, like that would have followed him for the rest of his life. And so this is what Mary was thinking about when she said, I am the Lord's servant. She already knew what this was going to cost. She already knew what this was going to be like. And so all this stuff, these trials, this hardship, it, it wasn't a surprise. And the same with Joseph. You know, and as Joseph as it said, like, hey, he was going to quietly divorce her because you did not want to have a pregnant wife that wasn't pregnant from you. And everybody would have known because they were just betrothed. They weren't actually living together. And people would have known. And the people they were traveling with, like we said before, the people they were traveling with would have known and Mary would have had to deal with several days and 90 miles worth of just them talking bad about her and just putting her down. And, and the whole time she's sitting in there going, I'm carrying God's son, and you're all being jerks. Like, you know, and just the hardship that that would have cost. And I think as we, as we come a lot of times to the end of the year and, and we kind of 
analyze this, this stuff and we look at Mary and we look at Joseph and we look at the Magi and we look at the shepherds. And I love that part of the shepherds, too. The shepherds were the first ones to find out about it. And they were like the lowest of the low in in that society. They they smelled bad. They didn't make much money. They worked outside the city. Like, they were not – like, this was not how the Messiah was supposed to come, which is why he was rejected by so many people. The The, the Messiah was not supposed to be born from an unwed mother – from a, in a poor family that couldn't even afford a lamb for the for the sacrifice, they had to give two birds, and then and then the first people to worship him are shepherds. Like this is not how he was supposed to come, right? And then and we look at the sacrifices of them, and let's think about Jesus himself. Jesus himself is just up there chilling in heaven, in heaven, and then he's born into the most humble circumstances. Why? Because we're a bunch of screw-ups. That's the only reason. He came because he loves us so much, and he knows that we're, as the, as the Bible says, dogs returning to their vomit. If that doesn't make you look good, I don't know what does. Right? That, that's, that's how we're described. We're described as dogs returning to our vomit. That's how, like, I mean, how many of us have gone, raise your hand if you've ever done the same sin over and over, even though you know you're being an idiot. Oh, just me? Oh, there we go. Okay, now we got some. Don't lie in church. Don't lie in church. Anybody kept their hand down, you are lying in church. Right? We've all done that. We all struggle. We have a certain sin that we struggle with. That it's just hard. It's, it's, it's hard to walk away from sometimes. And then we get back into it. And then we fight against it. And then we get back into it. And then we, and we give it to God. And we, but it's still a struggle. And God knew this was going to be that we were going to do this and we were going to keep choosing sin over him. And we were going to, and he said, you know what? I love you all so much. I'm going to send my only son who's up here in heaven with me to go down there. So you can all mistreat him, talk bad about him, abuse him, crucify him. And then through all that, I will save all of you. I mean, it's just, just crazy to me. All the people that what they were willing to go to go through, but then sometimes the, the some of the simple things, that we're not willing to go through. The shame that Mary sat there and said, I will be God's servant. Do we have that same? Until it might have cost her her life. Can we sit here this morning and can we analyze our own lives and say, I would have done that. Yeah, I would have said yes. Sure, it's easy to sit here and say that, but when you're faced with it and say, man, that'll be shameful for the rest of your life. That'll be shameful for your family, which was a huge deal. To bring shame to your family and to say, yeah, I'll have a kid that will be labeled as this bastard child for the rest of his life. Man, what a way to, but just said, hey, I trust, I have faith in the Lord that this, that this is how it's going to be and that you're going to bring me through it. And are we able to sit here this morning and say, I have that same attitude. Can we reflect into our own hearts and say, I would have been willing to do that to death. I would, be will, I would be willing to take on that shame no matter what it would cost. Because it's going to keep, it's gonna, I mean, we've seen in the past however many years, it's gotten harder, but not anything like this. But it's coming. It's not getting easier as we move forward in time. It's not going to get easier. It's only going to get harder. And so I would challenge each one of us this morning. It doesn't matter who you are. I don't care if it's Chuck. I don't care if it's Chuck Harrison, Myself, anybody else that works in ministry, anybody else that has whatever job, it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what job you have. It doesn't matter how much money you make. There's always ways we can serve the Lord better.
There's always ways we can grow closer to the Lord no matter who you are. And as we go into this new year, can we sit there and say, hey, I want to do this better, and I want to do this better, and spend time praying. Maybe it's something you haven't even thought of yet. Maybe you're here for the first time or you're watching for the first time, and you're going, man, I didn't even know God loved me that way. Man, I didn't even know I had sin that needed forgiven. Man, I didn't even know whatever whatever it might be, whatever spot you're sitting in. Maybe you've been a Christian for the last 50 years. Maybe you've been a Christian for the last 15 days. Maybe, you've been, you, maybe you're not even a Christian right now. And you're going, man, there's something about that that I can't believe. This, And Mary would have been about 13 years old at this time. 13 years old, and this girl was willing to take this on. And most of us in the room are grown adults, and we're not even willing to do this. I read a, I read a Babylon Bee article that was kind of funny about a guy that, uh, obviously you guys know Babylon Bee is a satire thing. It's not real. It's a joke. But, but it has a lot of truth to it a lot of times. Maybe it might be a true story, but the words are fairly true. He said it, the, the title was, Man Becomes a Missionary to Africa Because He Was Uncomfortable Sharing His Faith at Work. And we laugh, but how true has that become sometimes? That it's like, oh, I don't want to talk to this person because I don't think they're interested and they might, it might make things uncomfortable and I, you know, I don't want to lose them as a friend or I don't want to. We're not willing to get bold in our own communities, in our own lives. We're not willing to be bold for Christ, but we're going to read these stories about what Christ did for us at Christmas. At Christmas what a 13-year-old girl was willing to risk her life and shame for the rest of her life and the rest of Jesus at 13 years old. But we won't be bold for Christ so, so often in our own lives. It's got to change. And guys, the, the thing is, like, the darker our world gets, the easier it is to shine Christ's light in it. Like, we can look at all this and say, man, the world is just plummeting as far as morality and and, and going against the Bible, and that's true. But that just means what we have should be shining even brighter. The, dark, the darker a room is, the brighter a small light shines. So I challenge everybody in this room, maybe you haven't accepted Christ, and you can do that today, and just say, Lord, I'm a sinner. I need you. Because there's not, there's not an official prayer that makes you saved. It's not if you pray it the right way. Romans 10.9 is very clear. It says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Yeah, that's it. There's not a special recital. There's not a special, like, everybody's always like, well, I prayed the prayer when I was whatever. Okay, well, what do you believe right now? Because the prayer doesn't really mean a whole lot if you're not going to follow it the rest of your life thereafter. Because Romans 10.9 is not talking about a one-time decision. Romans 10.9, if you believe in your heart, if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart. Yeah, that should be a daily thing, an hourly thing, a, a constant. That's not a once-in-your-life thing. You should always be confessing your sins. You should always be believing in your heart. Yeah. And so that's my challenge for everybody in here, including myself, anybody watching. I, it doesn't matter who you are. Can we spend time in prayer? Say, Lord, how can I grow closer to you? How can I be more bold for you? How can I follow the example that this 13-year-old girl and this newborn baby, this example they showed us, how can I be more like them? So let's, let's pray. Lord, I just thank you for this morning. I thank you for the Christmas story, Lord. I just thank you for um, just your word, Lord, that we know that your word is living 
that your word will hold true through time, that as society change and belief change and everything else, Lord, that we know that your word is constant and your word will always hold up. And we just know that it's the absolute truth. And we just pray that we can follow it like we know it's the absolute truth and that we will just be bold for you in times that it is difficult to be bold for you, Lord. We just pray for each one of us in here that especially during this season, Lord, that you can just show us how we can grow closer to you and and just be able to spread your word more. And we just thank you for the Christmas story. We thank you for your sacrifice. We thank you for your willingness to come out of heaven, just to come out of heaven into this world, even at the highest level would have been a huge sacrifice. Even if you would have come out of heaven to be the richest man in the world, that would have been a huge sacrifice. But you came and you humbled yourself and you, you, you were poor and you went in a poor family in a shameful position, Lord. And we just can't, can't imagine that level of sacrifice that you did for us. Just a bunch of screw-up sinners, Lord. And we just thank you and we praise you for that. And we just thank you again for, for this Christmas season and what it means. We pray all these things in your name. Amen.